If you would, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse number 13. I'll set my timer, but since it's daylight savings time, I guess I have an extra hour to preach, so. Um, Verse number 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is together, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile him to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we thank you for sending Christ, your Son, to save us, to provide a way for reconciliation that we can come before you. Thank you that you didn't just provide a way, but you lavished upon us, that you took us to become your church, your bride, your body, that Christ could be preeminent in everything. Help us as we hear from your word. We're challenged that we would see the beauty of the church, that we would see the beauty of you being first of all in everything. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So last week we looked at the fact that God saves sinners. And in saving sinners, he saves us from wrath by our faith in Jesus Christ. The fact in and of itself that God saves sinners is absolutely amazing. I mean, we could just end there and say, God saved us. So what now? In this individualistic society that we live in, um, self-centered, looking out for number one, it's common to hear some of these phrases or thoughts um, my relationship with Jesus Christ is personal. It doesn't, doesn't matter to anyone else. Um, God saved me. Isn't that, all, isn't that all that matters? Why do I need to be a part of the church? Or even something that I once said, I hate the church. I can't stand the church. I love God. Isn't that good enough? 
Well, the answer is no. We must ask ourselves, did God save me to be by myself? Or did God save me to be part of something much bigger than myself? This week we'll begin a three-week series on the church and what the church is and, and what the church is meant to do in the life of the body and in the life of the world around us. See, God saves sinners to unite and unites them to the body, the church, locally and universally, in which Christ is the head. It is inconsistent to say that you love Jesus and not love the church, his body and his bride that he died for on the cross to reconcile us to God. Steve Timmis writes, we are not saved individually and then choose to join the church as if we were some club or support group. Christ died for his people and we are saved when by faith we become part of the people for whom Christ died. The church is not a place that we go, but a definition of who we are if we be in Christ. So we don't go to church on Sunday. We are the church on Monday and every other day of the week. The church isn't a place. The church isn't a what. It's a who. So the way church statement of faith says, the church is composed of all such persons who through saving faith in Jesus Christ have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and are united together in the body of Christ, of which Jesus Christ is the head. The church spans generations, cultural divides, denominational beliefs, genders, and all other socioeconomic divisions. However, we believe that the universal church finds its greatest expression in and through the local body of believers. It is within that this local body that God places and enables his people to minister to one another with spiritual gifts and abilities, demonstrating his grace and love for each one. In addition to ministering to one another, God has called his church to be light in the darkness, bringing the message of salvation to the world in which we live. So we, the church, are more than an organization, more than a club. We are the bride. We are the body of Christ. We believe God unites all those who have come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ into the body of Christ, the church, of which Jesus Christ is the head. It's helpful to look at some different definitions of how people define the church. Wayne Grudem defines the church the church is the community of all true believers for all time. Spurgeon defines it this way. The word signifies an assembly. The church of Jesus Christ is an assembly of faithful men. The whole company of God's chosen. His called out ones. The entire community of true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether true belie- wherever true believers are. There is a part of the church. Wherever such men are not, whatever organization may be in existence, there is no church of Jesus Christ. The church is no corporation of priests or confederacy of unconverted men. It is the assembly of those whose names are written in heaven. Any assembly of faithful men is a church. 
the aggregate of all these assemblies of faithful men make up the one church, which Jesus Christ has redeemed with his most precious blood and of which he is the sole and only head. Jonathan Lehman writes, A church, not the church, but a church, is a body of believers in Jesus, together drawing their life from him in regular, practical, organized ways that accelerates their progress for him. So we see the church is comprised of all persons who have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. So we can ask ourselves a few important questions. Who is the church? What is the church meant to do? And who is in charge of the church? And so as we look at who comprises the church, the church is both universal and local. Ephesians 4 4 through 6 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are a church and we are a beautiful representation of Christ here, but we are not the only church. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That is the beautiful representation of what we get to do in this local body, not just with other churches around us, but we get to have all things in common with each other. We get to share with one another's needs. And so the church represents all believers in Christ, but the church is most beautifully portrayed in the individual context of the local body. So we are not the only church, we are a church that gets to proclaim Jesus Christ to each other and the neighborhoods around us as we live in community with one another. So not only is the church universal and local, the church is united. So what is the church united for? There's many organizations that unite around a common theme and people get involved in those organizations because they make them feel good. The church is united first vertically in Christ. We see in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Romans 6, 5-12, For if we have been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in his resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing 
so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. If we look at our passage from Colossians in verse number 13, he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In verse number 20, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. We are united with Christ in death, and as the church, we're united with him in life. He is the only one that can reconcile us to make peace with God. Christ is the only means by which we can be saved. And so we, we are united vertically in Christ to God. We're also united as the church horizontally to each other. If we look back at the Acts passage and we look at the key things that they're talking about, they devoted themselves to each other. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the word. They devoted themselves to the breaking of the breaking of bread, communion. They devoted themselves to prayers, praying for one another. And what happened in awe came among everyone. So the people outside the church were amazed by how beautiful the church was because they were united together in Christ vertically and with each other horizontally. And day by day, people were being saved. So as the church understands its relationship to Christ and the church understands its relationship with each other, the church will be beautiful to the world around us. When the church doesn't understand its relationship to Christ and when the church misuses its relationship with to each other the church becomes stagnant the church becomes a misrepresentation of what god wants and that's where people say why do i need to be a part of the church can i just love jesus and that be enough if we turn to ephesians chapter 4 um It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean 
but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, the speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way in Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so as we're reunited to Christ, who is our head, and we're united to each other, the body grows. And there's a beautiful picture of what Christ means to us and what Christ means to the world in the body. Because we are united in Christ, we are united to each other. Steve Timmis writes, My being in Christ means being in Christ with those others who are in Christ. This is my identity. This is our identity. To fail to live out our corporate identity in Christ is analogous to the act of adultery. We can be Christian and do it. But it is not what Christians should do. The loyalties of community supersede even the loyalties of biology. So if I don't love the church, if I'm not using my God-given gifts and talents to encourage other believers in the church, then I'm not, my identity in Christ is not right, so my identity with other people cannot be right. Matthew 12:50 says, "For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother." See, Christ has created in us a new family, the church. The church becomes something that doesn't need to be juggled, but something that is central to every part of our life. See, we are the church. The church isn't an event that we have to come to on Sunday morning, a box to check off on our weekly to-do list. So I don't come casually on Sunday and listen to a sermon and maybe say hi to someone new I don't know. I am the church. And so when I leave here, we are the church as we continue. And so not only are we united to Christ vertically and united to each other horizontally, we, the church should be united on mission to go out and be what Christ has made us to be. Matthew five thirteen through 16 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works 
and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 2 Corinthians two fifteen through 17 For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. And so, as we are unified in Christ and we are unified in others, we should be united on mission. The church should be united on mission to make Jesus known and famous. The church, us, we are to be ambassadors of Christ supreme. Are we being salt and light to the people around us, in our neighborhoods, at our work? What aroma is our church bringing to our neighborhoods in our city? Are we bringing a sweet aroma of Christ's death and the life that he brings through his death and his reconciliation on the cross? Are we bringing an aroma that puts people off to God? Let the gospel be the only stumbling block. Not our words, not our attitudes, not the way we treat each other. Let the gospel be the stumbling block. And so we look at, as we look at who the church is and how we're united, we look at our identity. The church's identity, can be, we need to ask ourselves who we were, who we are, and who we're being made to be. If we look at our verses from Colossians, um, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And in verse number 20, And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how we were dead in our trans- trespasses and sins. Um, I would just challenge you to go and read Ephesians 2 later on today and parallel how it parallels to our verses in Colossians. But if we look at who we were, we were lost, we were alienated, we were children of wrath, we were dead, sons of disobedience, we were in darkness and we were hostile. But who has God made the church? Who are we now? We are redeemed We're reconciled, we're children of God, alive, holy, blameless, without reproach, 
We're now, we're now citizens and saints. So we're not distant from God, but we're able to come near to God by the reconciling power of Jesus Christ's blood on the cross. Who will we be? See, as God works out his sanctification process in, in our lives and in the life of the church, we're not who we are fully made to be yet. But one day we will fully be glorified. First John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So rest in the beauty of who you are in Christ and who Christ is making you to be. Your identity, our identity is in Christ. You are and we are redeemed, reconciled, children of God, alive, holy, blameless, without reproach, citizens, saints, if you have been reconciled to God. God by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. So there no longer has to be division among us. There no longer has to be strife among us. But we're unified in Christ. We're unified to each other. And we're unified on a common mission that only the church can proclaim. You are and we are his beloved. And so as we look at who we are. In light of that, we need to look at who is in charge of the church. So why is this all important? Who leads the church? The church is led by and to Jesus Christ and Him alone. He is to be preeminent. He is to be of first importance. Jesus Christ should be our all in all. Everything you ever wanted to know about God... What we're afraid to ask is found and embodied and expressed in Jesus Christ and Him alone. John says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, God's glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, if we're, the church should only be being led to and by Jesus Christ. And not anyone else. The church is not led by a pastor. The church is not led by a person. A church is not led by a methodology. Methodology. The church is led by Jesus Christ. God uses pastors. God uses godly men to lead people towards Christ. But if anyone claims to be leading you on something other than to Christ and for Christ, that is not a church that you need to be along to. See, we see here in the passage that Jesus Christ is supreme and Jesus Christ is sufficient in creation and salvation and in the church. See, Jesus Christ is supreme. He is first in rank and first in priority. And Jesus Christ is sufficient. He is enough. And not just enough, He is in abundance. And we see this laid out in creation and salvation, the new creation, and in the church. In verse number 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
this firstborn is a reference to importance, um, a priority of honor. He is the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. We talked about earlier when we talked about creation that Jesus Christ was there in creation. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the sustainer of all things. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Acts 4.12 There and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And see, so Jesus Christ should be supreme in our lives. Jesus Christ should be supreme in the church. He was supreme in creation, as he created all things, and as he brought salvation by reconciling us to God, he is supreme and sufficient there. And so he should be supreme and sufficient in our church. We should not be looking to anyone else to give us meaning or authority, but Jesus Christ and him alone. Sam Storm writes this, and I think... It's longer than I would like to quote, but I think it's helpful, and so I'll read it. Um, To what extent does your life reflect the preeminence of Christ? Are the affairs of your daily existence so ordered that Jesus Christ is seen to be preeminent? Is there any doubt in the way you use your time, your money, and your talents that Jesus is the source and center of it all? Is your treasure, is he your treasure, or is it found in the documents and deeds lying in a bank vault? Does he govern your life in such a way that all may know he is Lord? How visible is the supremacy of Christ in the way you talk and relate to others and fulfill your responsibilities at work and in your home? Resist the temptation to restrict the preeminence of Christ to one day a week. As if he were Lord and worthy of praise for only one hour on a Sunday morning. He is to be honored as preeminent, not only over all things, but at all times, in every context, in every circumstance. Resist the temptation to isolate the preeminence of Christ or to confine it to religious matters. He has been given preeminence in all things, everything in all of life both inside and outside the church, exists to make him look good. Not to make him good, for he is eternally and self-sufficiently good, but to reveal and disclose and enable all to see that he is in fact good and glorious and worthy of our wholehearted and exclusive devotion. So as we think about who the church is and what, God has made us to be in the death of Jesus Christ. And we talk about the church over the next few weeks. We need to realize that we are united in Christ vertically. 
we are united to each other horizontally and we are united with each other to go out missionally only because Jesus Christ is supreme. It's not some extra checklist box. It's not some good thing that we get to do. But Jesus Christ should be preeminent in our lives. And if we're united to each other, he should be preeminent here in the church. We should give him first importance in everything that we do. Do you love the thought that you exist to make God look glorious? Do you love the fact that your salvation is meant to put the glory of God's grace on display for the world around you? Do you strive to be an active member of the body? Letting the body see the gifts that God has blessed you with? Or do you hold those back? Do you make Christ supreme in your life, in everything? Do you embrace his calling as your treasure and joy? Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He began creation, and one day he will end with the new creation when we're glorified with him. But in the in-between, in the sanctification process, he has decided to use the church, our church, to proclaim who he is to the world around us, that they might see Christ as preeminent in everything. Let's pray.